Welcome to the Singapore Management University podcast series, where we feature the latest insights and perspectives from our faculty. As the profile of businesses engaged in disputes is now more diverse than ever, there is a need for dispute resolution mechanisms that are culturally responsive as well as internationally robust. Mediation is one mechanism that offers a flexible and confidential forum for business to resolve their differences in an effective and efficient way. Interest in mediation to resolve cross-border disputes has increased dramatically in recent years due to increasing access to the internet and the growing number of smaller enterprises doing business internationally. Nadia Alexander is Professor of Law at SMU School of Law. She also heads the Singapore International Dispute Resolution Academy as its director and is a prominent mediator, educator, consultant and writer. In a recent study, Professor Alexander had identified some of the top trends impacting the nature and practice of international mediation. She discusses these key trends and developments in this podcast. Professor, could you begin by telling us what international mediation is? Well, let me start with mediation first and then get to the international. Mediation is something that's very old, but also very new. I mean, people have been mediating, particularly in this part of the world, in Singapore and Asia for centuries. But what you see happening now is the professionalization of mediation. It's becoming a profession. Uh, lawyers are very involved in it, but not only lawyers. It's a multidisciplinary profession. And business is benefiting increasingly from mediation. And when we talk about mediation, we really essentially are talking about a negotiation process that is supported by an independent third party called the mediator. And that person helps or supports the two disputing parties to communicate better with one another, to identify the issues that they really have in dispute, and to generate options to work towards settling their differences. That's what uh, mediation is. And when we talk about international mediation, we're really focusing on mediation between parties, businesses, individuals in different jurisdictions, in different countries. Cross-border mediation is another way to say it. Globally, there have been key developments in international mediation. Could you share with us broadly what some of these developments are? Well, there are certainly a lot of developments in the field. There's a lot of movement, particularly in cross-border mediation. What we've really seen in the past decade is the opening up of mediation practice around the world, both for domestic, so national matters and disputes, but also for cross-border. And what that also means is that we've seen a corresponding growth in mediation service providers, particularly institutions. In Singapore, for example, we have the Singapore International Mediation Centre. For many years, at least two decades, there has been the highly successful Singapore Mediation Centre. But the, the idea that we now also have a separate institute, SIMC, dedicated to cross-border mediation is indicative of the growth in this field. Uh, what we also see then Following on from that is the professionalization of the field, which I mentioned earlier, but that here that's also linked to credentialing. How do you qualify to be a mediator? And how does that work in an international setting? You know, are Singapore mediators also able to work in Germany, for example, and vice versa? Technology, of course, is a big theme in many areas. And we've seen the development of online dispute resolution, online mediation. And also for the, for the profession of law, 
We have also seen the development of a specialization that we call mediation advocacy. So instead of going to trial and being a trial advocate, lawyers now are also able to develop the specialization of being a mediation advocate. And that's a completely different thing, right? It's like turning trial advocacy on its head because mediation is essentially a collaborative negotiation process. And how do you support your client to do that? Mediation makes business sense. So for lawyers, it's in their client's interest to do that. Uh, and so you see training now not only occurring for mediators, but also training for lawyers who want to specialize in assisting their clients to get the most out of uh, mediation. I could go on, um, but they're probably some of the main trends in the field right now. Technological advancement is disrupting international mediation. Can you elaborate? Certainly. Technology in a broad sense has increased communication to facilitate micro, small and medium business enterprises to engage in international commerce on a scale that we haven't seen before. So international business doesn't just mean the big boys of international commerce. It also means very small businesses. For example, you could be sitting in your kitchen in Singapore making muffins and selling them over the border in Malaysia. If your buyer doesn't pay for your muffins or for one order of muffins, you suddenly find yourself in an international business dispute. So technology has changed the profile of business users and where you have business you have disputes, so it's also changed the profile of dispute resolution users. When People need access to dispute resolution. They're attracted to mediation, particularly micro, small and medium businesses, because it is a highly flexible and affordable process. Traditional processes such as arbitration and litigation involve a third party decision maker. They are highly legalized and they are typically much more expensive and take a lot longer to work through than mediation. So if you're making muffins in your kitchen, mediation is certainly going to be a much more attractive option. So that's one way that technology has disrupted international mediation by increasing the diversity of people who come to the table. Also, if you think of uh, remote communities through smartphone technology, people in very remote communities and in indigenous communities have access to mediation, either through online mediation platforms or by communication which allows them to come to the mediation table. If I take a, an example of an investment dispute, you might have an international investor supported by a, a local government investing in land that belongs to a local village to build a mine or to build a rice field. And when there is a dispute about uh, something that's gone on in that transaction, um, which is not uncommon, uh, for example, that the jobs that were promised to the local uh, village don't eventuate, then who can come to the table and sort it out? Right? If you go to court, that's going to take you years. There's going to be disputes typically about which court has jurisdiction, in which country it will be decided. And even if you get a decision, there's going to be issues about how to access the money. If you have mediation, also through technology, you've got people like the, the chief of, of the village where the mine was built being able to come to a mediation table along with investors, along with NGOs, along with governments to try and reach an amicable solution to what would be a very complex dispute with environmental elements, economic elements, uh, political elements, as well as business elements. How about the growth of e-commerce and consequently e-conflicts? 
So e-commerce and the conflicts or e-disputes that result for them are directly linked to the growth of what we call online dispute resolution or ODR. Nowadays, there are many platforms that offer, if you like, virtual or online mediation and other forms of dispute resolution. And while you don't have to have an e-dispute to go to an e-mediation, that was certainly where it started. So whether you're talking about business to business, e-transactions where parties have a dispute, or what we all know is B2C commerce. Who hasn't bought on eBay or on Carousel or on some other platform? And when we have a dispute, for example, we purchase something on eBay and we get goods that uh, don't correspond with what we've thought we've purchased, how do we sort them out? ODR services, online dispute resolution services and online mediation can take the form of text-based email platforms, can also involve video or Skype programs, and typically they use a human mediator, but they are also examples of robo-mediators. Um, And some people say, well, you know, how can you mediate online? Well, if you can do business online, nowadays you can even fall in love online, people tell me, um, you can also mediate online. There have also been some development in the global legal landscape, such as the Singapore Convention on Mediation, which was signed in Singapore on 7th August 2019. How do these developments impact on businesses, big and small, in Singapore and the region? The Singapore Convention on Mediation is a United Nations treaty. And a treaty is like a contract among the states that sign on to it. This is the first time that a treaty has been named after Singapore. So it's a very big deal for Singapore, for lawyers, for the legal profession, but also and most importantly for business. So what does this treaty do? Well, basically, it focuses on the outcome of a mediation. If you and I representing two businesses, are in a dispute, we go to mediation, we reach an amicable resolution, we call that a mediated settlement agreement, we then have a new contract that resolves our differences. Most of the time people comply with the mediated settlement agreement. In a very small number of cases, one party might default. When that happens in an international setting, you have a bit of a tricky situation because a contract in Singapore might not be recognized as a contract in Germany, right? If, for example, the two parties are Singaporean and German, respectively. So what do you need to do? Well, you need to figure out, if I'm in Singapore and you're in Germany and I want want you to pay me some money that you're not paying, I'll need to go to a German court. I'll need to figure out how a German court interprets the Singaporean contract, whether it's recognized or not. I'm probably going to have to engage German lawyers. There's going to be travel, there's going to be costs, and there's going to be a lot of long litigation. That defeats the purpose of mediation. The idea of the Singapore Convention is that once you have a mediated settlement agreement, it becomes elevated to a new status that is immediately recognized and enforced in an expedited way among every jurisdiction that signs on to this treaty. So as of today, 10th of December 2019, there are 51 countries that have signed on to this treaty. So once they have ratified and the treaty comes into force, which will be very soon, then we will have what we refer to as the free circulation or facilitated, very easy circulation of mediated settlement agreements among all of those countries. And we expect more countries to sign on as time goes on. So what this means for business is greater confidence 
in doing business in other countries. For many countries who have signed on to the convention, they expect there to be greater foreign investment because where foreign investors see that a jurisdiction has a robust system of amicable dispute resolution, such as mediation, they will feel confident that if something goes wrong in their investment, they'll be able to sort things out and they will be able to get their mediated outcome, their settlement agreement, recognised and enforced in an expedited manner. It saves time, it saves money, it makes business sense, and it generates a lot of confidence in the business community internationally. What research projects are you currently working on? At the moment, our two main research projects relate to the Singapore Convention itself and also to an international dispute resolution survey which we have rolled out this year for the first time. I'd love to tell you a little bit about each of those. In terms of the convention, what we have produced is the first ever book. It's an article by article commentary on the convention. Uh, it's the first book of its kind in the world and we're already starting on the second edition. What it does is explain how the convention works in great detail for lawyers, but also from a practical perspective for corporate business users. We wrote this book and launched it at the signing ceremony of the Singapore Convention on the 7th of August 2019 here in Singapore without knowing exactly which countries are going to sign on. Now, of course, we know there are 51 countries already signed on, so our second edition is going to be bigger than Ben-Hur because what we're going to do is try and incorporate information and data and research that's going to be useful, not just for countries in the region here around Singapore, but also for those countries who have signed on and are contemplating how to build their own mediation systems to make the most out of this convention and to encourage more and greater international trade amongst the Singapore Convention signatories. So that's the, uh, the first big project that we're doing. We're also hoping to translate some of this work into Chinese as well to share more with our colleagues in that part of the world. The, uh, the second project that I'd like to mention is our survey. We call it the SIDRA, Singapore International Dispute Resolution Academy's International Dispute Resolution Survey. And here, the question that we were asking and we're continuing to ask is how do businesses make decisions about how to sort out their disputes? So if you're in a business and you've got a dispute, whether you're a small business or a multinational, how do you decide whether to do nothing whether to negotiate, whether to go to mediation, arbitration, whether to go to court, right, or a combination of those, because mixed mode processes where you combine different dispute resolution mechanisms is also an increasing practice. We focused on businesses who are engaged in cross-border disputes only. We're still working on our final report and we're hoping to roll this out on a regular basis so it'll become a longitudinal study. But I can share with you a couple of preliminary findings which I think are really interesting. So we talked earlier about technology. One of the interesting things we found, we surveyed only users, corporate users, but lawyers also, lawyers as users. And what we found was that corporate users were much more comfortable using technology in dispute resolution than their lawyers were, right? So there's uh, probably not surprising to some people. So it also shows that there's a lot more work that we can do with lawyers uh, to help them uh, engage with technology in a more effective way and meet their clients' interests. The other interesting finding uh, we found related to mediation was this. 
So when we asked users of dispute resolution services, both lawyers and corporate users, what factors they take into account when deciding which dispute resolution mechanism to use, they listed a range of factors with expedited enforceability on the top. So the most important thing was that if somebody defaulted, you could move to the other country and get an expedited enforcement of your outcome. That made us think that there is a market of people who are currently using arbitration and mediation who were shy to use or reluctant to use mediation because of the absence of an expedited enforceability mechanism. And this survey was done prior to the signing of the Singapore Convention of Mediation, so that makes sense. We then also surveyed people who were using mediation and we asked them, what factors do you take into account when deciding to use mediation for a cross-border dispute? And they mentioned the same type of factors, but the top of the list was really different. The top of the list for them was preservation of business relationships. So what we figured then was businesses that currently use mediation before the Singapore Convention are working on the basis that there's a high likelihood of compliance and that the most important thing is a preservation of a business relationship. Now, business relationships often crumble when you go to arbitration or court, and that's certainly something that mediation can help with and why mediation makes business sense. What our survey seems to be indicating, and the final report will help us uh, conclude this more, or confirm this rather, what our survey seems to be suggesting is that once the Singapore Convention really gets going, that current users of arbitration and litigation will also then turn to mediation because they will feel more confident once there is an expedited enforcement mechanism, one that the Convention offers. Thank you, Professor. Thank you.